0: ''Trust me, your lordship's opinion is unfounded,'' said the lady Helen Graves. And as the noble girl uttered the words, her eye brightened and her cheek flushed with a better feeling than high-born fashionables generally deem necessary. ''Indeed,'' exclaimed the earl, looking up at the animated features of his goddaughter. ''And how comes my pretty Helen to know aught of the matter?'' Methinks she has learned more than the mysteries of harp and lute or the soft tones of the Italian and Spanish tongues. Come, he continued, sit down on this soft ottoman and prove the negative to my assertion.
1: Not a great writer.
2: No, not a great writer. She has her moments. Perhaps what was thought in her own time to be her her best book, uh, Marion or a Young Maid's Fortunes. Uh, The title is, is... Either off putting or attractive, as your taste takes you, published in 1840. Uh, Marion is a foundling, uh, and the story unfolds uh, a drama uh, that would more appropriately have found itself on the 18th century sentimental stage of a young girl uh, in a foundling. Uh, a foundling. Uh, s- sent off to an ugly and dreadful school for young women, but eventually all turns out well in uh, her quest for security in a tale of uh, mistaken identities, uh, an 18th-century romance.
1: A summing up of the tales, really, of Anna Maria Hall, better known, if known by many, as Mrs Samuel Carter Hall, born in Dublin in the year of the Act of the Union, raised in Wexford and London, a prolific writer of stories, of plays, and rather more importantly, a book about Ireland. Uh,
2: She was a suffragette before her time. Uh, She was involved in uh, the temperance movement very, very vigorously. And she was interested in that other Victorian uh, uh, taste, which was spiritualism. And all of these things, one would have felt, would have allowed us to remember her, but in fact, we don't. Now, the question is, why do we not remember her? And why, and apart from the reason that she simply is a, a bad writer, I think there are more stimulating and interesting reasons. For example? Mrs Hall was, of course, in what some senses, Irish. She had been brought up as a young girl in uh, Wexford, in County Wexford, in the parish of Bano. She'd left Ireland at a very early age and yet had retained her affection for the country throughout her life. She also had married uh, an Irish man, who, a man who'd been born in Ireland, who had been uh, his father had been stationed there with the British army, and the two of them retained this interest in Ireland uh, for the entire period of their lives together. So uh, she was, in that sense, Irish, and yet she was an Irish writer at a time when it was remarkably difficult to be that, when there weren't the kinds of traditions and assumptions about the modes of Irish writing in English that would allow her to write really persuasive works uh, that would, one feels, uh, have lasted her time.
1: The view of Dr Terence Brown, lecturer in English at Trinity College Dublin, has been making a study of Mrs Hall. She left Ireland, as he said, when she was young, and married Samuel Carter Hall, who incidentally had been born in Geneva barracks in the same year as herself.
2: People in England weren't that interested in Irish writing at all. They would have had the sense that, yes, there might be a a minor uh, taste for tales of character and of tales of the oddities and quirks of Irish life, but there would be no real way to present serious examinations of uh, the Irish scene to uh, an English audience. And so she tended, I think, to meet that taste, producing droll tales, tales of whimsy and character, tales of the Oddities and bizarre features that can be found in Ireland or so uh, the English Victorian reader uh, might have felt. But there are, I think, solid reasons for us to go back and read these tales of Irish life and then her very stimulating and interesting travel books that she wrote along with her husband uh, later on, particularly in the 1860s. Now, the reasons that I would put forward are as follows. It is often in minor writers that attitudes and assumptions that greater writers transcend are available to us in uh, the 20th century. If we want to go back and find out what were the attitudes and assumptions that were to be, are to be discovered in an Anglo-Irish man or woman of that period, the works of Mrs Hall are very, very revelatory. They show us, I think, that movement in Anglo-Irish society between, shall we say, the 1830s and the 1860s, from the values and assumptions of a kind of an 18th-century relationship to Ireland to the values and assumptions of a much more Victorian relationship uh, to Ireland. Now, perhaps I should clarify that a little bit. The progressive 18th-century... Anglo-Irish man or woman would have taken the view that the Act of Union had allowed for social progress in the country, but it had allowed for social progress in as much as it would have permitted certain landlords to improve their holdings, to improve their land, to set themselves up as... Uh, beneficent landlords and we have a prime example of that of course in the work of Maria Edgeworth and the kind of work that uh, Maria uh, Edgeworth's father had done in Edgeworth's town it was assumed in this view of the future of Ireland that the future of Ireland was going to depend on the uh, right and just exercise of the landlord's power in the country and that if that was rightly and justly exercised things would inevitably ameliorate.
1: Samuel Carter Hall lived in Cork until he was about 21 and then went to London where he worked as an editor, journalist and publisher. He married Anna Maria Fielding in 1824. Five years later her first story, Master Ben, appeared and this started a flood which included a number of plays. Christopher Fitzsimon, artistic director of the Irish Theatre
3: Company. Mrs Hall was a successful playwright, but I think an insignificant dramatist. Now, this may seem like a contradiction, for her plays, though they're fairly amusing and often charming, lack any real depth of character. The scrupulous theatre historian Peter Kavanagh doesn't even mention her work in that exceedingly comprehensive work of his, The Irish Theatre, though he dwells momentarily on several other almost-forgotten Irish playwrights, like Jeffson and Kenny, so he must have considered Mrs Hall's work as a playwright to be entirely forgettable. Certainly her plays have long ago disappeared from the stage, as well as from the bookshops.
1: Yes, well, her, her books, of her short stories seem to have disappeared too, but
3: in, in what way do you consider she was successful? Well, I think there are two reasons. There's a general reason, which has a lot to do with passing fashion, and a more particular one due to the, her principal interpreter, the actor who played her leading roles. Well, that As, was Tyrone power, wasn't it? That was to her own power. Hmm. Now, I think the first reason was, this was the, the fashion, she satisfied a prevalent London taste for rural whimsy. Now, this whimsy was all the more acceptable if tinted in Celtic tones, if you see what I mean. Metropolitan audiences would have taken a condescending kind of pleasure in observing the good-natured antics of ignorant rustics, especially if they spoke in outlandish accents. This taste, as far as Ireland was concerned, had already been catered for in a far-from-disingenuous way by Tommy Moore, Samuel Lover, and at a more serious antiquarian level by collectors like Charlotte Brooke. Her reliques of Irish poetry came out at the end of the 18th century. She had a sort of tendency to p- a pattern-like syndrome, hadn't she? Definitely, yes. And, and, and of course, play being in, plays being in dialogue, it's much more obvious in, in the plays. Mm. I what think the other reason? Uh, no? Yes, I think the second reason for her success was to do with the fact that she found the ideal embodiment of the paddy-go-easy, broth-of-a-boy country character in her own power. He was born in Waterford and came over to Wales first and then on to London with his mother when he was in the cradle, practically. But somehow he managed to retain his Irish identity, so much so that his greatest successes on the stage were in Irish parts. Now, this would have been after he'd been out of Ireland for, I suppose, 15 or 16 years. In plays like St. Patrick's Eve, which he wrote himself... Paddy Carey, the boy boy from Clorine, another of his own. Makes him a bit Tipperary, doesn't it? Yes, and there's one called O'Flanagan and the Fairies, if you can imagine that. I should hate to. Well, he wrote those for himself, and Samuel Lover wrote Rory O'More for him in 1837... But one assumes that Tyrone Power read Mrs Hall's Lights and Shadows of Irish Life immediately on publication in 1838, for he arranged for her to rewrite the first story in the collection, which is called The Groves of Blarney, as a play for production at the Adelphi Theatre in London in the same year. So the combination of the author's cosy rusticity and the actor's dashing portrayal of Conor O'Gorman, because I'm sure it was dashing, resulted in instantaneous acclaim for both of them.
1: Adelphi seemed to carry long runs with power in those days. I've come across it in in other areas.
3: Now, what else did she write? Three or four other plays. There's one called Mabel's Curse, a musical drama in two acts. It was performed at the St James's Theatre in 1837. And there's a burletta in the same year called Saint-Pierre, or the Refugee. It's sometimes known as the French Refugee. Um, the Charles Reed, uh, who was the only critic of the time, wh- whom whose um, comment I could find on it, said it was received with much favour. But that's all I have to go on. Perhaps he was polite, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> what about power now? Well, power... Um, was engaged to to play in one of Mrs Hall's plays, Born to be Good or the Irishman's Fortune, at the Haymarket, and that was to open on the 12th of April in 1841. He was on tour in America, used to go to America a lot, and was very popular there. He was on tour that spring and was due to leave New York on the steamship President on the 11th of March. Now, he clearly worked what we would call a very tight schedule for he had only left himself four weeks in which to cross the Atlantic, travel from Bristol to London, and rehearse the play. Well, as it turned out, he never appeared in the play, nor indeed in any other, for the president capsized in a hurricane off Cape Cod. He was only 46, and it also happened that he was carrying with him a manuscript copy of another play by Mrs Hall, entitled, I suppose, provisionally Who's Who. I wouldn't think that was a very catching title. Anyway, that was a provisional title of her play, and it perished with him and went to the bottom of the Atlantic. And evidently it was the only copy of the play in existence, so it it never saw the stage.
1: Uh, You came across the groves of Blarney, I think, in a library.
3: Yes, Um, There there are a couple of copies in in London, in the British Library, and it has a most convoluted plot. Are you interested to hear the plot? Yes, well, it's set amongst architectural and topographical landmarks, which, if we know our Mrs Hall, are of unquestionable authenticity. And the story is that an English farm steward called Francis Russell, brought over to Ireland by an improving landlord, settles at Bee's Nest Cottage, Blarney, with his two daughters. Now, the employer dies, and then Mr Russell himself dies, leaving his daughters nothing but the cottage and a small holding. Margaret, who's the elder, at 18, marries the well-to-do, though ageing, Hector Lee, although Conor O'Gorman, described as a handsome Irish youth of 20, has already declared his love for her. Now, Flora, her younger sister, described by one of the characters as wild as a young fawn of Killarney and obstinate as a mule. Well, she joins this menage of sister and elderly husband, to which in due course is added Hector Lee, Jr. The elder Mr. Lee shortly dies... And he sees his end approaching. He generously counsels his wife to take another husband and warns her against a scheming person called Ulick O'Sullivan, who, it appears, had been one of her earlier suitors. And the dying Mr. Lee also tactfully mentions, before he expires, that Connor O'Gorman is a very fine young man.
1: Then follows a long, long subplot, but it all ends happily.
3: It does seem to have gone on forever. Um, I suppose um, if you lift the plot out of it, the bare blo- bones of the plot, it seems, seems a- absolutely um, predictable in the particular style of the time. The play is full of all sorts of quaint rural information. There's, there's um, one scene in which Conor O'Gorman recites to an- the English guest Peter the names of all the possible breeds of Irish potato that he can think of. And it is very instructive. Yes, well, uh, in one of her
1: books uh, on the
3: Irish character, she has a, uh, drawn a
1: pl- plan of how to plant potatoes and how to lay the drain. She's
3: she, fascinated. She seems to have been <laughs> obsessed by the spud. <laughs> and we're introduced in another scene to the mysteries of an Irish wake with Keening and all. And this character, Peter, who arrives from England, uh, her cousin... Um, is one in the line of credulous English observers of the Irish scene, beloved of Busico and Shaw and Louis Dalton and others. And what I think is, is extraordinary is that Mrs Hall should make this character, Peter, visit Ireland in the play, intent on writing a travel book. And I wonder, can he be a caricature of her husband, Samuel? Couldn't, it couldn't be a caricature. I
1: don't think she'd risk it. No. He must have been too useful in organising her trips, as far as I can make out. But obviously she was cashing in on what she'd studied. On on
3: on their experiences,
1: yes. Stories about Ireland, plays about Ireland, and about a great many other topics. The halls were travelling to and from Ireland with frequency, particularly when you remember how long it took to get from England to Ireland in that time. There was a book about South Wales, another about the Thames, and then The Big Effort. Ireland, its scenery, character, etc., etc. And the etc.s are those of Mr. and Mrs. Hall. Just before it was published, the Dublin University magazine reported, It is to be neither a guidebook, a tale, a history, or a book of travels, but is nevertheless to contain instruction for the tourist, amusement for the novel reader, information for the student, and novelties for the curious. Michael Gorman, a former editor of Ireland of the Welcomes, and a man who has spent his life in tourism, is among the admirers of the Halls.
4: Because they have, in fact, gathered together all the information uh, which you could think of about the Ireland of Mrs Hall's day. She made five journeys between 1825 and uh, 1849. And she had, of course, been born here. And she she had been born here. She, was, uh, she visited Ireland at a time when there was a great deal of discovery going, along, uh, going on. For example, you had a great deal of archaeological work going on. There had been various major works on Irish archaeology published by people like Ledwich and Gross and so on. And um, there was a great deal of information. A major work which had just been published before uh, Mrs Hall's work was the uh, Topographical Dictionary of Ireland by Samuel Lewis which contained information on literally every city, borough, corporate market and uh, post-town, all the parishes and villages, an incredible amount of statistics. And what Mrs Hall did was basically to gather together all of this vast amount of information and to intermingle it with all sorts of details of the the scenery, what she saw, the people she met. And she gave one in the three-volume work which she produced... The whole texture of the Ireland of the 1840s, immediately before the famine.
1: Yes, uh, there was one, I think, in the first edition. She has a diagram of how to
4: plant potatoes. Well, she literally uh, uh, tells one everything that one could think of uh, as far as Ireland is concerned. She tells one how the agriculture was carried on. She tells one about the poorhouses, how they were uh, constructed and their capacity and how they operated. She tells one, for example, how the beggars in one town varied from the beggars in another town. Uh, She commented very, very freely, uh, particularly on the, uh, the Irish character, uh, and I, I'm very g- glad to say that she always found something positive and warm and encouraging to say about the Irish. Despite the incredible poverty which she, she found everywhere, she always spoke about you know the, the liveliness of the Irish, the wit, the, the charm, and she was terribly, terribly positive. And uh, undoubtedly, in her day, she did a great deal to, to give a good image of, of Ireland and the Irish people uh, in Britain
1: the first edition which came out in periodical parts for subsequent binding into three volumes did not report the normal type of tourist visit
4: by the time she had finished her visits there were already regular the regular system of sailings which we, we still have today had been firmly established but an even bigger change was the advent the effect of steam on internal transport in ireland because with incredible rapidity, we, there was uh, a, a, the whole rail system as we know it today was established and developed. Uh, we had uh, the the first railways were uh, only you know in the eighteen thirties, and already by eighteen fifty, you had trains to the west, to the south. The whole country already had its basic network.
1: Uh, she calls the book, and I it's weak, continually say she, although the book is credited to Mr and Mrs Samuel Carter Hall she calls the book Ireland its scenery, character,
4: etc Well she does make clear at the beginning uh, and on various occasions throughout the book that it wasn't our intention, she always includes her husband when she makes a reference to the authors in the book, it wasn't our intention to write a good guidebook And uh, she obviously sees the role of a guidebook as just uh, describing specific tours and specific places and telling you how to get there and so forth. Uh, She, in fact, did a great deal more. She, in fact, dealt with every aspect uh, of Irish life. She talked, for example, of drunkenness. Now, drunkenness, when she was writing this book, was a major Irish topic. And why? Because she was in Ireland and she was publishing just at the time that Father Matthew had waged his Great Temperance campaign. And this had had a a truly remarkable effect in Ireland because from being a a country where virtually, uh, I don't know what proportion, but maybe half of the proportion seemed to be, in one way or another, influenced by drink, selling it or buying it, suddenly you had this incredible movement, uh, the the Great Temperance movement with uh, Father Matthew, which uh, was established in 1838 in Cork And by the end of 1840, had two and a half million members. Well, now, I can't think of anything in modern times to match that.
1: The strong concern of Mrs Hall for temperance is reflected frequently in her fiction. This plea for reformation ends good
0: spirits and bad in her popular tales. I told you, said James, I had the true temperance cordial at home. Do you not see it? in the simple prosperity by which, owing to the blessing of temperance, I am surrounded? Do you not see it in the rosy cheeks of my children, in the smiling eyes of my wife? Did I not say truly that she helped to make it? Is this not a true cordial? he continued, while his own eyes glistened with manly tears. Is not the prosperity of this cottage a true temperance cordial? And is it not always on draft, flowing from an ever-filling fountain? Am I not right, Andrew? And will you not forthwith take my receipt and make it for yourself? You will never wish for any other. It is warmer than ginger and sweeter than aniseed. I am sure you will agree with me that a loving wife in the enjoyment of the humble comforts which an industrious, sober husband can bestow, smiling, healthy, well-clad children, and a clean cabin where the fear of God banishes all other fears, make the true temperance cordial.
1: Obviously, she makes her point strongly. Now, the equipment of the travel writer of today, the portable typewriter, the pocket dictating machine, the roll film camera, hadn't been invented when the halls were travelling. It was a pencil and pen task, and not a ballpoint pen either. It was a physical strain. How did they cope?
4: Well, um, I I, I would think that possibly uh, her husband played an important role a major support role, not only in arranging all of the pub, uh, publishing details, because there's a great deal of assemblage uh, and assembling to be done and getting together all of the illustrations, the maps and so forth, which are beautifully done, but also in uh, gathering together all of the, um, the facts. You know, there's, uh, every chapter in her book uh, is just studded with, with information, Uh, virtually all of which is absolutely accurate and somebody had to gather that together and to check it out and so forth Uh, and uh, I would think that possibly this is what her husband did and I'd say that she probably concentrated on the writing and uh, putting English on it (laughs) as one might say and letting him do the subbing and letting him do the subbing yes the um it's not any very different, really, say, fr- from the uh, position of somebody like uh, Sir Christopher Wren uh, dealing with the whole uh, design and construction of St Paul's uh, in a day when they didn't have great drawing offices and files and reproduction machines and all the rest of us. You mentioned
1: that she made four or five journeys. Now, that must have taken some organisation.
4: Yes, uh, I would think that... Um, Uh, It took a major organisation but even uh, between the time when she first came uh, and her later journeys the development of tourism in Ireland was such that uh, already by uh, the uh, beginning of the 1850s uh, when the second edition of her book was coming out you already had tourist packages available uh, from uh, from all all the major centres in London and you could buy a package which would include transport from London, Euston all the way to Killarney or to the Wild and Romantic West or up to the Giant's Causeway accommodation and so forth and uh, even included a hardcover green guide with all the details which you could possibly need uh, and you bought that in London and uh, everything was t- taken care of I don't think we've really developed as much as sometimes we would seem to think in this area No, the Discover Island package tours were there No, there certainly were there. And in fact, uh, another interesting aspect of the same point is that the the same places were uh, already the highlights of of an Irish visit. Uh, The the, uh, visit to Glendalough, the visit to Glengariff, the uh, visit to Killarney, the visit to Connemara, the Giant's Causeway. All of these were all highly developed tourist centres by the 1840s. Uh,
1: What about her hotel situation? Because Um, Young complained bitterly about hotels.
4: Well, she was rather uh, uh, critical uh, uh, of hotels. Um, Of course, there there weren't anything like the number of hotels then uh, uh, that we have now, just as there wasn't, I suppose, the volume of tourism then. But one of the things she, she, she did uh, find uh, off-putting was the attitude of what we nowadays would call hotel management and what she called innkeepers and landladies in the more simple terms of those days. And she, she referred to, the, to a tendency in Ireland for them to be above their work, to the disadvantage of their business, and she referred to the difficulty of encountering them whenever you had a problem, and that many establishments seemed to be running themselves rather than to... Uh, have somebody running them. Uh, she also, uh, in dealing with drunkenness, uh, made some references uh, to uh, the uh, staff in hotels. And she, she said that uh, in the days of her earlier visits, it was very uh, unusual to find a, an Irish waiter in a dining room who wasn't uh, totally under the influence of drink and she was particularly pleased with the impact of of Father Matthew, Uh, because as a result of his work, according to her, this totally disappeared as a result of his campaign. She was also pretty critical of guides. Uh, Yes, indeed, Uh, and I think uh, rightly so, because the sort of guide which one had in those days in places like uh, Glendalough, uh, they were people who lived on their wits, uh, they they uh, would tell uh, a visitor any sort of story uh, in order to hold their attention and hope, hopefully to get a few pence uh, at the end of the day. And uh, the the tourist arriving at Glendalough or uh, at Glengareth or in Connemara anywhere like that in those days would be immediately uh, met by a great group of what nowadays we would think of as ragamuffins, and these were the guides who offered their services. And, you know, after all, one can do nothing but sympathise with these poor people because there was nothing else for them to do, and if the the tourism brought them a few pence, well and good. And in their favour, and Mrs Hall always looked for something to say in the favour of the people that she met in Ireland. She was terribly understanding. In their favour, she said, well, you know, um, they were very witty, and they earned their money. Their t- stories were often charming and entertaining. And she kept contrasting what she found in Ireland uh, 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 with opposite numbers uh, uh, in England, where she found people were thrifty but rather dull. One of the guides that uh, Mrs Holt particularly liked was one she met down in Glendalough called Mr George Winder. And he uh, won his way into the refections with his boast that he could coin legends enough overnight to entertain the quality all day.
1: One of Mr Hall's contributions to the opus was most probably the commissioning of the pictures, mostly excellent steel engravings. And that, unfortunately, is one of the reasons why copies of the books have disappeared in recent times. They've been bought and cutted of their pictures for framing and individual sale. Coverage of the country by Mrs Hall and her husband in both pictures and prose was meticulous.
2: In one of her volumes of tales of Irish life and character, she describes a journey to Banno. And moving through the Irish landscape, she sees lots of reason, regions where things aren't so good, where there's still lots of beggars about, where clearly the peasantry are not well treated. But then we arrive at the blessed parish of Banno, where she says... We had entered upon our last mile where we, we were in the Charm District where the benefits arising from resident landlords and the advantages of education and cleanliness are too evident for it to be a moment in question. She's arrived at the place where the landlord is exercising his power uh, rightly. And another example, She in Sketches of Irish Character, a third edition published in 1842, uh, she announces the parish of Bannow on the sea coast of Counties Wexford It is certain, however, that this district of County Wexford is superior to any other part of the south of Ireland. Its landlord is not an absentee. He is surrounded by an attached and prosperous tenantry. The land is naturally rich, and facilities for improving it are many. Clearly, this is that 18th-century aspiration for beneficent landlordism. So when one comes to read her travel books, what is so striking about them is her sense of pleasure in the period after the famine. Which she doesn't mention, or very early in passing. Only in passing. There are moments where she admits that it has taken place uh, on Achel, for example, she's out uh, with her husband and she recognizes that there were terrible events that had taken place there, including uh, the pro- provision of soup for large numbers of people, provided they will uh, convert to the Protestant religion. And as she had hoped for such a conversion in Ireland, but even she had to admit that such conversions were possibly not of the, ki- the best kind.
1: It comes up several uh, times, uh, 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 particularly on education. She yes.
2: Indeed, it, it does. She has this sense of uh, the need for uh, a kind of secular, Protestant kind of educational systems to be established. But her sense in those travel books is a feeling, despite what has happened in the famine, that things have improved. She constantly makes this point that social improvement is the product not any more of Right landlordism, or beneficent landlordism, but of the f- it's the fruit of uh, the industrialism and uh, rational scientific approach uh, to the social order that can be identified as being the progressive aspect of Victorianism.
1: She, she rather bows the knee to um, Prince Albert. I think it's a dedication of the Kalani Yes, indeed. I mean, the
2: whole thing is uh, Victorian. And one has to admit that uh, (laughs) Ireland was Victorian uh, because when one looks at the book and one sees the end of of the book, uh, the advertisements of the Irish hotels of the day, the Royal Victoria Hotel of Cork, recently rebuilt with its 150 bedrooms, uh, announces to the uh, world that it's been patronised by the royal families of England, France, Prussia, and by the Grand Duke. Duke and Duchess of Saxe, Coburg and Gotha, His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Princesses Amelia and Clotilda, the Duke of Nemours, etc., etc., as well as by the nobility and the gentry of Ireland. <laughs> uh, Ireland was Victorian in the period, and she's deeply impressed by the social progress that this represents, the viaducts that are getting built, the fact that the railways are beginning to spread about the countryside. She's fascinated by the Bianconi car and the systems of that. She's interested that the males are now uh, getting through uh, and she is at pains to assure her English readers that if, as tourists, and this was the period of the beginning of tourism, that if they come to Ireland as tourists, they can expect just the same comforts and appurtenances that they might expect had they chosen uh, to go uh, to Vienna or to uh, to Germany. Uh, the, 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 the Ireland is decent now. It's progressive. It's Victorian.
1: The halls were never the people to waste good material, and appreciating the growing interest in Killarney, they wrote a rather more touristy book, which they called A Week in Killarney. Uh, They cheated a bit on this one, with long pieces about places on the way, but eventually they summed up the town.
0: The town of Killarney is distant about a mile from the northeast shore of the lower lake. It is a poor town, and although surrounded by resident gentry, has a worn and withered look. Its public buildings have a wretchedly dilapidated aspect and its church seems rapidly falling to decay. Yet the population is considerable, exceeding 10,000 and the number of houses may be about 1,200.
1: Frank Lewis, a native of Kalani, has been looking at the book.
5: I suppose the first thing that strikes you about Mr and Mrs Hall's writing is the difference in the style of living then and now. First of all, the, the travelling was meant primarily for those who were wealthy. I mean, take one comparison. The price, I reckon, in today's money of travelling between London and Killarney would be something in the region of £250. And then the whole style, the whole uh, almost grovelling sort of attitude towards the gentry, the Ken Mayors, the Herberts, the Headleys and so on. The great facilities that existed for those who were able to afford to travel, the cottages all round the lake at places like Glenar, at uh, Lord Brandon's Cottage, uh, Queen's Cottage, uh, Ross Cottage and at the foot of Carinthool and so on and so forth. Another thing that struck me about the book were, of course, the standard of souvenirs. For instance, there was a great wood carving industry in Killarney at that stage, and in fact up to comparatively recently, and one piece or two pieces, in fact, that were made for Queen Victoria's visit took something like half a million pieces of wood. Killarney had a great reputation, and Killarney itself realised its international reputation, I think, more than it does now. It was visited by everybody who was anybody. There were the great numbers of guides mm. who were available, who were not available anymore, and even young people, it said, were uh, available as guides, and were good guides, knew the area very, very well. There was the the whole the, the parish, they, they in fact describe at the beginning of the book how poor condition uh, the, the parish was in. And I suppose it's not, it's not surprising, considering that the book was written in 1850, which would have been just at the, the end of the famine period. Uh, and one of the particular points that they make reference to were the
0: great numbers of beggars uh, in the town at that time. The beggars in the various towns have their distinctive characters, and they differ essentially from those who beg in the country. In the towns, it is usually a profession... The same faces are always encountered in the same places, and they are very jealous of interlopers, unless good cause be shown for additions to the craft. In Dublin, they are exceedingly insolent and repulsive. In Cork, merry and good humoured, but most provokingly clamorous. In Waterford, their petitions were preferred more by looks than words, and a refusal was at once taken. In Clonmel, we were there during a season of frightful want, they appeared to be too thoroughly depressed and heartbroken to utter even a sentence of appeal. In Killarney, they seemed trusting to their utter wretchedness and filth of apparel, as a contrast to the surpassing grace and beauty of nature all around them, to exhort charity from visitors. And in Wicklow, where we encountered far fewer than we expected, always excepting Glendalough, "'They laboured to earn money by tendering something like advice "'as to the route that should be taken by those who were in search of the picturesque. "'One had followed a friend of ours to his great annoyance for upwards of a mile, "'and on bidding him good-bye had the modesty to ask for a little sixpence. "'For what?' inquired the gentleman. "'What have you done for me?' "'Ah, then, sir, haven't I be keeping your honour in discourse?'
5: Going back to a point that I was making earlier, first of all, you had things like ponies available to take you to the top of Carinthuhl and ponies to take you to the top of Mangerton. You had boats available at any particular time. And as I said, you had hordes of guides. And another facet of this was that in the gap at a particular point, in fact, in my lifetime, I remember the bugler halfway up the gap. But on the upper lake near the Eagle's Nest, they also had both a bugler and a cannon.
1: But now the bugler and the cannon are gone. How do present-day observers regard Anna Maria Hall, who died aged eighty one just one hundred years ago this week? Dr. Terence Brown
2: she was born just a little too early. had she lived into the had she lived in the eighteen eighties and nineties and into the twentieth century, those interests of interest in the Irish country life, interests in spiritualism, uh, interests in progressive ideals of one kind or another might have made her a writer of the Irish literary revival and she would have been remembered along with other minor writers of that period who are still celebrated in their country. But she uh, was born too soon, left for England and was a minor
4: English writer.
1: Michael O'Gorman... An Englishwoman or an Irishwoman?
4: When she was writing, it, it, it was a, a rather difficult to make that differentiation, because in writing her book, what she's trying to do is to create an understanding of, of, of Ireland uh, in uh, England, and she uh, sees uh, the the most important thing which has happened to Ireland as the union, and she is trying to to make that union between. Uh, Britain and Ireland into a reality by producing the necessary understanding and this is what her book is really devoted to, creating uh, understanding of Ireland She was very much a woman of the Union Very much a woman of the Union